All aboard and welcome to the LNER 1923 restaurant. This event is about celebrating 100 years of London Northeastern Railway. In fact, we are standing on the site of the old head office of LNER today. So a very appropriate backdrop. Hello and welcome to another LNER Fast Track podcast where we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the LNER brand by offering people an exciting opportunity to travel back and forward in time and enjoy a specially created menu designed to showcase some of the most delicious dishes served to train passengers over the past century and beyond. The LNER 1923 restaurant was opened at the Cookery School at the Ground in York, the former headquarters of LNER of course, now a hotel. And it provided the perfect historic backdrop for the unique pop-up dining experience on November the 6th and 7th. During the course of each evening, diners were transported back to the year the LNER brand first began, savouring delectable dishes from the past and present. And there was also a chance to taste what may be to come in the shape of a futuristic dessert created to reflect the potential onboard cuisine a hundred years from now. Yes, it could well be mushrooms for dessert in 2123. We're talking about fungi being the food of the future, especially using methods such as dehydration. So we've got these mushrooms dehydrated and powdered, and that's mixing in with the panna cotta. I was a bit sceptical beforehand. I never thought mushroom and rhubarb would go together. I've never done it myself, but uh, it was enjoyable. So let's start by finding out what the LNER 1923 restaurant is all about. Here's Claire Ansley, customer experience and people director. Claire, we meet again, and every time we do meet, we're doing something extraordinary. Well, I think the food and drink on Nauru has always been quite iconic. So, you know, back in 1923, a meal on train would have cost you five shillings and an extra four pence if you wanted a coffee. So even, you know, for the last hundred years, people love our food and drink offer on board our services. And if you're travelling for a long distance, then, you know, a third of our customers are telling us, you know, they love our, our offer on board and it's nice to sit and relax, look out of the window and enjoy a nice meal. So you've recreated a menu from 1923, one from today, and the future as well, 21, 23. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of future think- thinking and our, our trend, you know, the trends are going to change and we've got to keep up with it. You know, much in the same way, you know, a few years ago, vegan was very different. It's actually not now. Yeah, and the dessert is the one to watch in terms yeah. of predicting the future, isn't it? Yeah. Because it's got mushrooms in it. It's got mushrooms in it and it's also got spirulina in it, which a lot of people turn the nose up at the minute I mean some people do like it but it is a very acquired taste yeah just remind us what that is so people listening who don't know what it is plant based protein protein. so people have it in shakes and and things in the morning like a sort of greeny green it's green green grain yes who are your food testers then this afternoon so this afternoon we've got a range of journalists and influencers coming to try the menu this afternoon in this 1923 recreated restaurant here at the grand 
which used to be our head offices for LNER as well. So it'll be interesting. Claire Ansley, Customer Experience and People Director at LNER. Now, Ben Hood is an actor. You heard him at the start of the podcast, and he was drafted in to play a specific role. Tell us a little bit about your uniform, first of all. I've got the, the pocket watch and the, uh, I've got the old-fashioned cap. We've got waistcoat, suited and booted all the way to the top to the bottom. And I'm going to be taking the guests through a culinary journey 100 years into the past, up to the present and into 100 years into the future. So um, I'll be introducing a little bit of history about LNER and then the very beautiful detailed things that are going on the menu. So we have a starter, remain and a dessert and each one is accompanied with a cocktail, a paired wine and a pudding cocktail as well. We have a beautiful team of serving staff who will be coming in, bringing in the different courses which correspond with the different centenaries and I will be waving my flag and blowing my whistle to um, usher in and usher out different eras. Well, all this centred on the cookery school at the Grand Hotel in York, a beautiful venue, and the head chef for the event, Lucy Goldsmith. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about your inspiration, first of all, for starters in 1923? So in 1923, we looked back at um, some of the old menus that LNER provided, and the dish that we're serving tonight is a combination of two of those classics. So we've got the lemon sole, um, which was sole de poivre, I believe, yeah, that was on the 1923 menu, and then I think dates are slightly different, but in the same region of the 20s, I think it was 1926, they served a chilled pea soup, so we're just combining the two. So you put the sole into the soup? Sole into the soup. And is it warm soup. Or, or It's a cold soup. It's a cold with soup. A, with a slightly warm, comfy fish, yeah. So. What did you think of the range of the menu in 1923? It's very much a, uh, one plate serves all, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'm very, like meat and two veg almost kind of vibes yeah 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 not too much to play around with but again a lot of classics very french looking so sometimes simple is more effective isn't it for the main course we looked at what they are serving currently on the menus on the trains right now there's a range of dishes but again keeping a kind of classic theme we wanted it to pair well with the starter seeing as we have those typical french flavors we wanted to go for something different than a fish even though there is fish on the mains we've essentially breaking down broken down their chicken casserole and just separated those elements to refine it a little bit more so we're all the same things are essentially there we're just jazzing them up a little bit for a fine dining event like this i'm always interested when modern chefs talk about breaking things down can you describe what that actually means so you take a chicken casserole and put we, all the ingredients on a plate separately yeah. that's basically yeah. yeah yeah it's just separating the elements um, maybe taking them up a level in richness, so adding more cream to that sauce, making those seasonings and flavours quite distinctive. So chicken casserole, we've just really picked out the thyme to make that shallot thyme sauce really feel rich and delicious. Again, keeping it simple like the French starters from the 20s, but yeah, just rounding it off into something very wholesome and hearty. We've also looked at the rail route of LNER as it travels through the countryside. We've taken ingredients from suppliers along that route as well. And we wanted the dish to kind of reflect what you see as you're traveling when you go out the window. It's art, isn't it? Well, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Tell me about, we can hope for that, can't we? It, but... it is art, it's incredible. Tell me about mushrooms though, in a sweet. Perhaps it's not as daft as it sounds, looking ahead in the future. The mushroom flavours aren't actually that crazy intense. Once you pare them down and make them very gentle with a panna cotta, um, 
it's fairly mellow, just a bit of earthiness that complements the other ingredients really well. So we've got like a sharp ginger and apple jelly to go on the top. So the two balance each other out. Yeah, pretty sweet. And we've got a rhubarb uh, gel that gets squeezed on the top. So you've got the nice sharp elements and you've got the deep elements too. And we also went not just with mushrooms, knowing that mushrooms are apparently going to be the future of food. We've gone with amaranth as well. So we looked into historical grains and we looked into future grains. So what have we had in the past historically? And amaranth is basically a superfood. So that Aztecs were making this grain, they were using it for like 80% of their diet and when the colonizers came in, when the Spanish came in, they were like, this is evil and got rid of all the amaranth. But now scientists are saying amaranth is gonna be that food of the future because it has a huge yield. It's incredibly nutritious. And yeah, when we're looking to conserve water and be more ecological with the planet, this is the kind of grains that we're gonna be eating way more of. We're gonna be seeing people use similar to quinoa, things like that. So amaranth is one of those grains to watch out for. So we've separated it. We've got it as the base note with this lovely crumb that goes around the edge of the panna cotta. And then we've got those micro greens that are going to just be placed on the top just to add a bit of beauty. And that was the head chef for the event, Lucy Goldsmith. Now, we'll find out a little later on in this podcast how that dessert goes down. But first, we're going to have a look into the future. Now, let's talk to Robin Fegan. Robin is a food futurologist. First of all, I've got to ask you, how did you become one of those? Falling into it, really, and interest, I've always been like really into kind of science and particularly interested in flavour science and kind of food things. So that's, you know, just, just naturally got into that. And it's a bit of a niche because there's people who are interested in food, but they're maybe not interested in science and the other way around. What's your main work then in this field? Our focus is food and drinks, but we're an events company and creating new products as well. So like we made chicken lipstick for KFC. And now we're doing food from 100 years in the future for uh, LNER. What's chicken lipstick? Chicken lipstick. Uh, It's lipstick that tastes like chicken. Right. Uh, (laughs) It's all, I know, uh, it sounds unusual, but it's, uh, yeah, it's descriptive, that one, for fans of chicken and lipstick. Is a lot of your work to do with the the gimmicks and and advertising there? Everything needs a gimmick, unfortunately, in order to sell, to get people's interest. And I would say... Um, in a non-cynical way, that everything we do would have a narrative. So there'd be an interesting story to tell around how we got there, what you're eating, what you're, you know, that side of things. Um, And we've actually done quite a lot as well with like edible packaging, which is something unusual, uh, or at least very biodegradable. And we started that kind of, there's quite a few things coming out like that now. But at the time, you know, everything was wrapped in plastic. And we're looking at, can you, uh, like we made some like coffee cups that were that were fully edible so you have your coffee and then you eat that too because we've talked about um about you know the kind of certain things might become more scarce or what can you grow if the climate changes so this is where the mushroom based sweet comes from yeah well mushrooms you know have i guess people uh they don't have like the best reputation i think people are scared because there's mushrooms that'll kill you out there they're learning every day about you know their sort of health benefits then they're not a plant they're not an animal so yeah, they're, they're just, uh, you know, people are kind of getting into that now and all these things that you were like, we've maybe taken for granted or we haven't used. So we've decided to actually make our pudding, which is our future course, using, like looking at these different ingredients that perhaps will become more used in the future. Right, because mushrooms have long been seen as an alternative to meat, haven't they? You get yeah. these big mushroom steaks and yes. things like that, a bit like cauliflower They have steaks, the, yeah. the, the umami, the, yeah. you know, the, the sort of... Um, they give a lot of flavour to things, which is... And you get vitamin D from them as well, which you don't get from 
many things. Yes, because some people think mushrooms don't have any nutrition, nutritional value, don't they? But that's not yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're good for you. Yeah. The, the, ways, the way you sort of process things, the way you look at things, it's like, again, we've used loads of gelling agents from seaweed and we're looking at spirulina and algae and things like that. Like plenty of things that you'd be like, it's inedible until we cook it. Okay, so what was the property of the mushroom then that made you think, hmm, we could actually make sweet out of this? Are you using the texture of them then? Is that what it's all about? Yeah, definitely amongst yeah. amongst other properties. Uh, we just it was it was almost as well. It was kind of like a fun challenge because we're looking at like how would you do that, and that's always a fun part of the job as well. It's like it's not that you go right. Everyone is using mushrooms for pudding. We will do that. It's like okay, so how would we get a mushroom into a pudding? Experimental. Then. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, lots of lots of trial and error and going like, this mushroom one doesn't taste good. Could you just sum up where you see food heading in the future then? What are we looking out for in the next 100 years? So there are a couple of, or a few different points and a few different factors involved. So some I touched on earlier is that maybe like climate change, say if the, we're already beginning to grow grapes here and getting some really good wine, what happens if we can't grow wine in other countries? So there's that, there's also, you know, overpopulation, these sorts of things. So one thing we're looking at is like alternatives. So um, insect protein coming in now, you know, with, with how popular plant-based stuff is, where that will happen in the world, I don't know, but that's already becoming a thing named alternative protein. How would you like your locust burger, sir? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you might like it. Again, people are thinking a lot more about sustainability for the safety of their children and also for the kind of you know, ethical, fashionable reasons of like, I would prefer to eat something if I knew that it hadn't flown around the world and animals hadn't died to make it and things like that. So one thing, I mean, people are very scared about GM, but that's a thing. If you can make a crop that, you know, is going to grow in any climate, make some, you know, some new wheat so you can grow it in the desert and have your bread there. That's obviously hugely helpful. And things like pesticides, you know, there's a big rallying against that. So can you make something that there's, there's plants out there at the moment which produce their own sort of pesticides, which you could, you know, which wouldn't poison bees and humans and stuff. So there's looking at other plants, merging them together. And again, look at the list of things that people were saying, you know, chocolate, people believe, might go off the list because of the way it's grown. Will someone be able to produce a version of that? Also, sugar, everyone's beginning to realise how bad it is for you. I don't think we've cracked the sugar alternative yet. That's definitely something that would be hugely valuable if you can make a new plant that is sweet. And that's Robin Fegan, who is a food futurologist. Well, I wanted to know what chefs think of these innovations. So who better to go to than uh, three onboard chefs? And they are Gavin Strawn, Dave Galloway and Lee Sharrett, who all work on the trains with LNER. Well, no, the way the, the world's going now with the, the different kind of food, no, the, the fusion of, of different things, no, it's an interesting one, but no, it'll turn out very well. Mushroom is a flavour enhancer for everything, so you probably won't actually taste the, the mushroom itself like what no. you, you think, but it'll just enhance everything else that's there, so yeah. Back in the olden days, they used to use a mushroom ketchup to enhance flavours. Yeah. Mushroom in dessert, uh, it sounds unusual, sounds different, but I think uh, because the uh, dessert is something that's uh, maybe futuristic, so that's why we're doing mushroom, it's mushroom panna cotta. How will they react when they hear about the mushroom? They might be a bit taken aback by that, but uh, something really exciting, really futuristic, and uh, really exciting to see how it turns out, so I'm looking forward to that. Over the centuries of like cooking, people have always experimented with food to see what they could create through different menus and different experimentation with food. 
So this is just another form of that, and I think it'll work really well. You are the chefs on the trains, and it is a, a slightly different experience today for you, isn't it? Trying to cook food at 125 an hour, miles an hour is uh, interesting. But everything's stable here at the cookery school. <laughs> I mean, dining was quite extensive on trains back in, in 1923, if you could afford it, obviously, because <laughs> yes. the fares were higher for that kind of experience. Do you think much has changed in terms of food preparation on board at speed? Uh, on board, it's, it's uh, an interesting concept. No, I've only been doing it for about a year now, so but it's more lacking the space for doing anything more than sort of the cooking. It's, uh, it's just a, it's a great experience, no, no chasing up and down the country, you know, cooking at that, that speed. It's interesting doing poached eggs at no, 125 miles an hour. What's the most challenging meal? Uh, I mean, I, I, I've been working for LNER for 22 years and I've seen lots of changes and uh, different menu changes. But what's the most challenging? Poaching an egg on a train. That has to be some skill. You know. Why is that so difficult? Well, it's because, I mean, poaching an egg, I mean, if, if you're poaching an egg at home, I think, there's, I think there's some science to poaching an egg and the acid in the water that, that maintains the egg. So obviously we have, the, we have the vinegar on the train, which we put in the water uh, and that maintains the egg and just keeps it together. But obviously going at some speed, that can be quite a challenge. Well, I only do the, uh, the evening trains, the dinner trains. Right, so, so you don't have to do page, do you? I don't do breakfast trains, no. I would say overall that breakfast trains are more challenging because there's more, there's more elements to incorporate. You have to obviously use your frying pans to fry your eggs. You have to use a poaching pan to poach your eggs. You've got to do all your bacon and your, and your obviously sausages and your tomatoes and everything else in between. It's quite a lot to incorporate. Gavin Strawn, Dave Galloway and Lee Sharrett, all chefs with LNER on board the trains. Well, we're going to find out what one diner made of the mushroom-based dessert in just a moment, but let's give it a proper introduction with our 1923 conductor. I'd like to introduce your dessert. You have a beautiful mushroom panna cotta and spirulina moss, a rhubarb pear and ginger gel cover, and finished with an amaranth microglossum. Quite the mouthful in every sense of the word. Alongside that, we have a delicious and innovative cocktail. Thanks to the advancements in technology, the days of leaving alcohol to infuse with different flavours is no more. Our bartenders today have added an assortment of fresh, unadulterated fruit to a rum punch. We have uh, raspberry, we have strawberry and pineapple. Now, the inclusion of nitrogen means that the fruit expands and bursts out its flavours in a matter of minutes compared to months. So, we hope that you enjoy this taste sensation. Thank you very much. Can we have another whistle stop? There we go. Please enjoy your desserts and your final cocktail. So, Tony, you've finished your meal. Uh, let's go through it bit by bit. What did you think of it, first of all, at the, uh, the starter? The starter was very nice. I'm not sure about hot and cold together. Both elements were really nice, but I would have just the fish or just the soup. So the fish was hot. It was lovely. It was hot. So it was, was in cold. a cold soup. Yeah. yeah. It was lovely, but didn't quite work for me. Okay, well, that's from 1923. Yeah. I suppose they were experimenting at the yeah. time, weren't sure they? Were, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was nothing wrong with it. It was just, for me, it's either hot or cold. And the chicken? Very nice. Pickled beetroot, delicious. Chicken really nice. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Couldn't really put a fault with that one. And then the dessert. The, the mushroom. The mushroom panna cotta with spirulina. Something I would not have ordered. 
I'm not sure about uh, mushrooms and rhubarb going together, but to be fair, it was surprisingly nice, different. Well, I was going to say, if that's the future, is it a future that you'd like to experiment more with? Yeah, yeah. I'm quite, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm quite happy to try different things and whatever else. You know, I'm quite eventually it comes to food, and that was nice. Well, Tony, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. It's been nice to meet you. Thank You've enjoyed the afternoon. Oh, it's fantastic afternoon. Well, with that, that's the end of this edition of the LNER Fast Track podcast from the Grand Hotel in York in the former LNER headquarters.